the UN General Assembly, President Biden asked the world to stand with Ukraine. Sovereignty, territorial integrity, they are the fixed foundations of this noble body. And universal human rights is this North Star. We cannot sacrifice either. Plus, massive Russian drone attacks overnight destroy humanitarian supplies in Ukraine. The humanitarian aid that was destroyed, a part of it, was an aid from that Ukraine got from Vatican. And later in the program, a former U.S. Marine joins Ukraine's armed forces. Today is Tuesday, September 19th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Addressing the United Nations General Assembly on Tuesday, President Joe Biden again denounced Russia's invasion of Ukraine as a violation of the core tenets of the UN Charter, the clear prohibition against taking other nations' territory by force. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately. And it's Russia alone that stands in the way of peace because of Russia's price for peace is Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine's children. The president started in a speech talking about Vietnam and covered a range of critical global issues, including Ukraine. White House Bureau Chief Patsy Wiedekuswara is traveling with the president at the UN General Assembly and joins us to sum up the president's address to the world body. Patsy, what stood out to you? Yeah, Laurie, so you mentioned that President Biden started actually his speech with his retelling of a recent visit to Vietnam, and he mentioned how our history need not dictate our future, adversaries can become partners. And I thought this was super interesting because, you know, coming into the speech, we had the understanding that he was going to again rally support for Ukraine and denounce Russia's invasion, which he did, but he didn't do that until basically minute 22 out of his 27-minute speech. He addressed everything from, you know, fentanyl, Haiti, Palestine, China, you name it, before he finally hit onto this topic of Ukraine. And I think this is a sign that the administration is listening to the concerns of the Global South countries who feel that Ukraine have been dominating the diplomatic meetings here in New York. And so the U.S. goal coming into this General Assembly was essentially to show that um, the administration is focused on concerns of the non-Western world. And that's why he also built up the passage on Ukraine by time tying it into the commitment of a broader defense of the international system and the UN Charter. He did make some notable comments, including calling it an illegal war of conquest and Russia alone stands in the way of peace. Some some strong words there for sure. Yes, but this is, you know, his second time speaking about this issue. If you would recall, last September 2022, he also made the same pleas, the same denunciation of Russia. But if you compare the words from his speech last year and his speech this year, even though the message of substance is essentially the same, that the U.S. will um, continue to support Ukraine, will push back against Russia's invasion. But you do see a softening of language. You don't hear the same kind of very strong emphasis that the U.S. will be there for as long as it takes. You don't hear that today. And I think, again, it is because the administration is realizing that there's certainly a somewhat of a Ukraine fatigue among the global South. 
And don't forget, there's also a very strong push for a negotiated settlement sooner rather than later between Ukraine and Russia. And this was uh, mentioned by several world leaders, including the first speaker, Brazilian President Lula da Silva, who you know cast himself as this voice of the global south. He is saying that peace is not easy, but definitely there should be room for negotiations. Biden said something pertaining to people can't come in and start cutting up countries. So how is diplomacy going to, to happen if, if Ukraine is not going to give up its sovereign territory? Well, that's a big question, right? And, and as you know, there have been some peace efforts started by several members of the uh, United Nations, including China, South Africa, Brazil even, but not many of them have um, really succeeded in terms of you know gaining traction. We have seen, however, this more broad effort from Saudi Arabia, who hosted senior officials from about 40 countries, including Ukraine, the United States, and China, uh, to discuss you know um, principles towards a peace negotiations. However, of course, Russia was not invade, uh, invited, and so there's a big question of how successful these talks will ultimately be. So do you think overall Biden's speech was able to sort of satisfy the overall international community's concerns as well as appeasing the concerns of President Zelensky in Ukraine? That's definitely the aim, right? Balancing the needs of the global south and as well as uh, continuing to rally support for Ukraine. And don't forget that President Zelensky himself will have the podium in New York where he will be able to make his own case to the General Assembly. Last year, he was given the dispensation to be able to deliver his speech through video. But this is the first time that he's speaking in person. And of course, he will try to convince the world leaders here on the need to continue to support Ukraine while also addressing this sort of peace cap in the UN head on and try to line up his rationale on why peace must be done according to what he calls a just peace terms. And then following his visit to New York and the UN General Assembly, Zelensky is also planning to go to Washington and address Congress and uh, meet with President Biden again. Yes, that's correct. On Thursday, President Biden will host President Zelensky at the White House. We expect some more announcements on U.S. support on Ukraine. It's a big week for President Zelensky in terms of making his appeal to the broader world leaders here in New York, as well as American leaders, politicians and lawmakers in Washington, particularly at a time when there's real question about the sustainability and longevity of American support for Ukraine. As we see, many Republican presidential wannabe candidates have really underscored the fact that, you know, they're questioning this amount of money and funds that continue to flow for Ukraine. White House Bureau Chief Patsy Wiedekuswara traveling with the president at the U.N. General Assembly in New York. And meanwhile, before attending his first in-person visit to the U.N. General Assembly since Russia's invasion in February 2022, Ukrainian president President Volodymyr Zelensky traveled straight from the airport in New York on Monday to Staten Island University Hospital, where he met with wounded Ukrainian soldiers. Thank you so much to everybody, for, to, to, of course, to, to our soldiers, to their relatives, and I, I see here their wives, sisters, brothers, and of course, thank you very much for the staff, thank you for doctors that you gave such possibility for only one dream, to live and to come back, of course. 
home. Thank you very much for your support. Zelensky plans to join a U.N. Security Council meeting on Wednesday. Asked by reporters how he'll sit at the same table as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who will also be attending. I'm not sure that we will choose the format. I don't know how it will be, really. Yes, but for us, it's very important that all our words, all our messages will be heard by our partners. And uh, if in the United Nations still, it's a pity, but still, there is the place for Russian terrorists, it's a question, not to me, I think it's a question to all the members of the United Nations. Meanwhile, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for presidents, premiers, ministers, and monarchs at the General Assembly to recognize that people are looking for their leaders for a, quote, way out of this mess. Associated Press correspondent Charles de Ledesma reports. China's Xi Jinping, Russia's Vladimir Putin, Francis Emmanuel Macron, and Britain's Rishi Sunak are all skipping the UNGA this year. That should put the spotlight on Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky, who'll be making his first appearance at the Assembly's podium later on Tuesday and on President Joe Biden. Speaking ahead of the gathering at an informal EU foreign ministers meeting, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell says that discussions will include security commitments to Ukraine as well as a strategy for the Sahel region in Africa. We will talk about uh, our future security commitments to Ukraine. In Toledo, we already discussed it. They put on the table several proposals. The ministers will continue discussing. Guterres told leaders at Monday's opening he wants specific attention placed on the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. I'm Charles Duladesma. Despite the start of the meeting of world leaders, the war went on. Russia launched a massive drone attack on the western city of Lviv early Tuesday, striking three industrial warehouses, causing a huge fire in one of them that housed humanitarian supplies. Anna Chernikova in Kiev joins us with an update on this target and a number of other Russian assaults in the last 24 hours. It was yet another tough night for Ukraine because Russian forces launched a lot of drones targeting different parts of the country, but definitely the worst attack and the worst result of this attack happened in Lviv. Russian drones stuck warehouses in Lviv. Unfortunately, we have confirmation about at least one person killed, the worker of this one of the warehouse. Uh, what's important to mention that uh, this attack destroyed tons of humanitarian support supplies and humanitarian aid that was provided uh, to Ukraine and uh, it was a storage there. We know also about two people injured, uh, particularly just a couple of hours ago it was confirmed that the humanitarian aid that was destroyed, a part of it, was an aid from that Ukraine got from Vatican. This is really something that, this is something that creates additional symbolism to it. Wow. It sounds like the building was on fire and destroyed and pretty horrific. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, at the moment when the fire was localized, it was localized at the on the territory of 9,000 square meters. So it's a huge, huge area. And you know, the rescue team and fire workers still, still work on the spot. What I can add also here that the drones were also, during the night, were targeting the city of Krivirich, uh, also uh, area uh, of 
Khmelnytsky region, Odessa region, the city of Kramatorsk and Slovansk in the east uh, in the Donetsk region, and also the city of Kherson. Unfortunately, uh, the city of Kherson is under attack every day. Were they mostly drone attacks? What we know from the Ukrainian air defense that Ukrainian uh, armed forces managed to destroy 27 drones out of 30 drones. So it was a pretty good result for the air defense team, but still we can see that three drones reached their destination. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. During an in-person meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group in Ramstein, Germany, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin urged Allied defense leaders Tuesday to dig deep and provide more air defense systems for Ukraine to help the country block increasing barrages of Russian missiles. Air defense is saving lives. So I urge this group to continue to dig deep on ground-based air defense for Ukraine, and we must continue to push hard to provide Ukraine with the air defense systems and interceptors that it needs. The Defense Secretary and Chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley joined Ministers of Defense and senior military officials from nearly 50 nations to discuss the ongoing crisis in Ukraine and the continued close coordination by the international community to provide the Ukrainian people with the means necessary to defend their sovereign territory. As the number of drone attacks increases inside Russian territory, what's the impact? Russians who were outside of Moscow after the drones were recently shot down say they weren't worried. But Ukrainian officials at times have hinted a desire to demonstrate they can, if needed, take the fight to Russia. VOA's Steve Miller spoke with Kelly Greiko, senior fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, for that answer and more. So I think, you know, the Ukrainians are under a tremendous amount of pressure right now with their counteroffensive and the fact that it has essentially stalled on the battlefield. And I think these attacks targeting Russian territory in particular are meant as much for its own domestic audience as for the Russian audience to try to sort of, you know, build up support or or sustain support and show the Ukrainians um, that they're having some impact on, on Russia through these strikes. When you say having an impact on the strikes, video released by Reuters News, speaking to some of the residents in these Russian areas that were where, where the drones were shot down and exploded, they were saying that they aren't all that concerned about it, even even though they aren't used to this, that at the time it may be scary, but in the long run, they, they really don't have any kind of worry about it. D- does that hamper the impact on the Ukrainian side, showing that they can take the fight inside Russia? Yes, it does. And I would just say that this is not surprising at all, uh, that this is the response from people in Moscow because this is historically how uh, populations have responded to airstrikes or drone strikes um, that are targeting uh, cities. You know, we've seen Ukraine itself with this. Um, you know, there's an attraction to these kinds of strikes, a belief early on in air, with air power from its very founding that perhaps you could target um, cities and cause an erosion of popular support for a war. But what we've seen time and again, whether it's, you know, the blitz in London in World War II or the drone strikes um, that Russia conducted in the winter um, against uh, Ukrainian cities, is that 
it really doesn't break the will of populations. And if anything, it causes a rally around the flag effect. We have seen in, in recent video released of so-called sea baby sea drones that were used possibly to take out the the bridge linking the Crimean Peninsula to Russia and, and other attacks inside Russian territory. Is Ukraine doing well in improving its concept that it can take the fight to Russia? Well, I think it has certainly shown that it can take the fight to Russia. Um, there's been about over the last year, according to some sources, about 150 um, suspected aerial drone attacks on Russian territory or Russian controlled territory. So they've certainly shown a capacity to do this. I think the problem is that Russia is a really big country. Uh, so the scale is not there to necessarily have a tremendous impact, even at a military military level. Um, you know, over the weekend, we saw one strike that was very, you know, brazen in the sense that they were able to target an air base where there was a um, supersonic bomber, a Russian bomber located on Russian territory. And there's images on social media of the bomber, you know, being up in flames. But they only were able to succeed in destroying one bomber. Uh, so, you know, this is that's a pinprick in some ways in terms of um, its impact on Russian military capability. Before you go, what else should our international audience know uh, about the use of drones in warfare, whether they be striking civilian targets or areas where there are civilian populations? I think even putting aside the ethics uh, of targeting civilian areas, uh, militarily, it doesn't work. Uh, and so to the extent that these drones are used on Russian territory, it will be more effective for them to go after things like oil facilities, airfields, um, other kinds of infrastructure. And the, and the Ukrainians have done a lot of that um, and they're what they're targeting on Russian territory. I think the problem for them is simply that the scale of the kind of attacks they would need to conduct uh, to really have a massive impact, not just simply disrupt Russian um, logistics, but really impact it in a meaningful way so that forces at the front find themselves, uh, you know, being strangled um, by lack of supplies um, it is really not there. But we are seeing a really fundamental change, I think, in warfare in that the capacity of even a medium powered, medium sized state like Ukraine to conduct long range strikes. Kelly Grieco is a senior fellow with the Stimson Center. Kelly, thank you very much for your time and your analysis. Thank you. With world leaders attending the United Nations General Assembly this week, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan is stepping up efforts to save the Ukrainian grain deal and bring Russia back into the agreement. Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul. The United Nations General Assembly is the venue for Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's latest bid to save the Ukrainian grain export deal after Russia's withdrawal from it. Erdogan, who has close ties with Russia's Vladimir Putin, broke at the grain deal last year with UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Özgü Unlu Husuchukla heads the German Marshall Fund's office in Ankara. It, it's a positive role uh, that Turkey is playing, acknowledged by uh, you know all all actors, and also it in a way justifies uh, Turkey's balancing act uh, because if Turkey had suspended political dialogue uh, with Russia, Erdogan wouldn't be able to uh, play this role. So in a way, it also 
refutes uh, criticisms towards Turkey's uh, balancing act. Erdogan met with Putin earlier this month and said he would present proposals at the UN to revive the deal. The Turkish leader has voiced sympathy for Moscow's call for the easing of sanctions to allow the Russian export of grain and the lifting of financial controls to allow grain payments. Onur Ischer is a Russian affairs expert at Istanbul's Kardahas University. Understandably, uh, Western countries are very wary of, uh, of giving what Putin wants uh, immediately. The grain deal is Putin's leverage against what we could call the economic weapon against Russia. Erdogan's close ties to Putin have strained his relations with Washington, which will complicate the Turkish leader's efforts to persuade US President Joe Biden to make concessions. Observers say Erdogan will be looking for support from UN Secretary General Guterres. Mustafa Aydin is the president of the International Relations Council of Turkey, a research institution. We know the relationship between President Erdogan and President Biden is not excellent. Let, let me put it that way. And, and obviously he knows, Erdogan knows, that he cannot convince by himself or by Turkey itself the United States to move. So he's, he's, I think he's going to try to bring in the United Nations into the picture, so to kind of, kind of convince Biden to make a move towards Russia. Erdogan's diplomatic efforts come as Ukraine starts to export grain in the face of Russian threats, raising the danger of an escalation in the Ukrainian war. Mr. Biden of the International Relations Council of Turkey. Russia intentionally might try to block them and might create, escalate the situation. Then you don't know what it will happen. I mean, it can spill over anywhere and everywhere. It might spill over into Turkey or other Black Sea countries. And currently, of course, the conflict is contained. For Erdogan, observers say saving the grain deal will not only avert the risk of famine and soaring food prices, but will help silence critics of his ties to Putin and reduce the danger of an escalation in the Ukrainian conflict. Dorian Jones for VOA News, Istanbul. American Bodan Olinaras was born in Ukraine and moved to the U.S. with his parents at the age of two. But when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, he immediately joined the armed forces of Ukraine. A former U.S. Marine, he spent six months in Ukraine and was almost killed in the Donetsk region. Anna Rice narrates his story. I didn't Bogdan Alenaris was born in Ukraine, but has lived in the U.S. since he was two. Although raised in the U.S., he didn't hesitate to volunteer for Ukraine's armed forces when Russia invaded the country on February 24, 2022. And then when I got to um, the actual Ukrainian side of the border uh, and talked with the customs, they said, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm here to fight. And she literally, and I was not expecting this, she was like, why? After he volunteered, he headed to fight against Russia in the Donetsk region. Uh, it was the start of the second week I got there, so maybe day seven, day eight of the war. Um, and then I stayed for six months. In the U.S., Alanaris had served in the U.S. Marine Corps and was already a veteran when the war in Ukraine started. You know, I don't have a family, like wife or kids. Um, I'm military age and I have military experience and I'm Ukrainian, so who else should go help but me? 
Olinares signed up through the Ukrainian embassy in Washington. Then he flew to Poland and from there crossed into Ukraine. The International Legion of Territorial Defense of Ukraine was being formed then, and Olinares joined the Azov Battalion. He fought in the Donetsk region and helped defend Mariupol and was also stationed in the Kiev region. He celebrated his 35th birthday last month. But a year ago, in the Donetsk region, he doubted he would make it out of the war alive. And I'm running and the whole time, like, I'm dead. There's, there's no chance a tank is turning to shoot me. There's, I have nothing I can do. And one guy waited for me and uh, he's like, come on, come on. He has the radio, he uh, calls, and the group that was uh, to our left, we uh, go meet up with them. Uh, me and my friend, we like kind of get up and move and he has a machine gun and he just blasts. Um, and then nothing. I thought for sure going to die. The biggest uh, zero to a hundred uh, I've ever experienced in my life. Olenaris's family and friends supported his decision to fight for Ukraine. I was expecting them to say, don't go, you're crazy. Um, but they said, as soon as we heard what President Zelensky said, um, we were just waiting for you to call. Today, Alenaris works in the IT sphere. His employer saved his job for him when he was fighting in Ukraine. Ukraine was Alenaris's first active combat zone. And for his service, he received a military award from the Kiev city administration in August. For VOA Russian, NRI's VOA News, Washington. And that will do it for us today, but stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us at VOA, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.